0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. When the Holy Spirit leads you, He not only leads you towards a place, but He also leads you away from certain places. In fact, there's two places in particular that He leads you away from. Here's the cool thing. If you will step away from these two tendencies you and I both have, your life will begin to shine like never before. I think down deep inside we all want to shine, to be noticed, to visibly make an impact, to be remembered. Well, the shine I'm referring to is the best, most memorable, most impactful shine you could ever hope for. It's to shine for Jesus. So listen in and find out what kind of things the Spirit leads you away from and how stepping away from these two habits is going to improve your life immensely we've been talking obviously about being led of the spirit and that seems to be a topic that um, is just oh it's so rich there's so many facets to it it's there's so many different aspects but today we're gonna we're gonna look at the fact that the spirit not only leads us in a direction but He leads us away from things as well. So to be led of the Spirit, we're gonna be led away from two things, and we'll actually be led away from many things, but I'm gonna focus on two things that the Spirit, if He's leading us, is gonna lead us away from. And if we back off from these two things, we're gonna shine like stars in the universe. My dad priest or spoke on a scripture last Sunday night that has absolutely blessed me and taken me through this entire week. I keep reading it, I keep thinking about it, and I keep being blessed by it. But we're going to tie that scripture, and I'll tell you what it is here in just a second. We're going to tie that scripture into the story of Abraham um, just briefly. So I'm going to read from Genesis 17 verses 9 through 13, just a little short piece of, of Abraham's story. And it says there in Genesis 17, verse nine, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. Whose covenant? God's covenant. Abraham didn't cut a deal with God. God cut a deal with Abraham is the way that it worked. It was a covenant from God. And here's here was Abraham's part of the of the covenant, of the deal. All right, he said, God said, you and your descendants after you uh, are to keep this covenant. Um, And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, and here it is, every male among you must be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant. Did you hear that? A sign of the covenant not the covenant itself, but rather a sign of the covenant between me and you. Not you and me, between me and you. God first, we're second. For generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are, those who are not your offspring, Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant uh, in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Uh, Verse 13 of Genesis 17 says, Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. What a mystifying approach God took here. (laughs) Um, Boy, I wish I could explain that. But it's obviously incredibly important, or was incredibly important, for God and for Abraham as part of a covenant that God made with with Abraham. And we know, after talking about this at length, that Abraham was a spirit-led man. And this was a spirit-led requirement that God had for Abraham and his descendants. We being his descendants of faith, all right? So how does that translate into our covenant with Jesus? See, Jesus died on the cross and made a covenant that's available to every single human being that's ever lived. What is our side of the bargain in this covenant with Jesus, similar to Abraham's covenant with with God almighty. Well, we read in Romans 2:29. It's interesting. Romans 2:29 it says no a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. In other words, as we've read in Romans 4, we're we're Abraham's offspring if we're people of faith in God, not just people of faith, but people of faith in the God whose son is Jesus Christ just to be very specific. So we're Jews inwardly because we are offspring of Abraham because we have faith in God. This verse in Romans two twenty nine goes on and says, ah, here's the word, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit. Wow. Now this takes on a little bit different form for us and becomes quite more applicable to our lives than uh, than reading about Abraham's covenant with God. So it says, circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. All right, This circumcision of the heart is not a means to gain God's approval, but it's it's a means, as we will find, to become holy and set apart for God. Because the whole thing that God wanted of abraham and his people his descendants his family was that they be separate that they be different from the canaanites that they lived in lived with and lived around see god wants you to look different act different talk different be entertained differently He wants you to be a different kind of person and that only happens when you're led by the Spirit and the Spirit of God begins to circumcise your heart, which we're going to talk about in a little bit more depth. Romans 2.29 goes on to say, such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. You see, as we get closer and closer to God and we're led of the Spirit, we realize more and more, I really don't care. To get praise from people, I really, really want God to praise me. Not to praise me in a divine way, but to be pleased with me. To, 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 To see that His investment in me is paying off over time. Let's read on though. Considering this whole concept of circumcision of the heart, in Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11, the writer of Hebrews is talking to his audience and he says, They disciplined us, and he's referring to our father, our our parents. Our father disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. In In other words, he circumcises our hearts. He disciplines us for our good. He circumcises our hearts in order that we may share in his holiness. Remember how I said that holiness is is where we become separate and set apart for God. What does it take to be a different kind of person? It takes the circumcision of the heart. It takes God's active hand of discipline, not punishment. Punishment and discipline are two very very different things. I don't know that I've ever punished my kids. I have disciplined them, but punishment has to do with turning your back on somebody and trying to hurt them. And I never, ever, ever wanted to hurt my kids. And you know what? God never, ever, ever wants to hurt you either. He does want your life to be circumcised though, to to be set apart, to be holy as unto Him. And so here it says, no discipline, and I'm back in uh, Hebrews 12, now verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, circumcision of the heart is a lifelong process. It's a training process where God does allow things to happen in and around us that are a bit painful, but he uses those to circumcise our heart and to create in us a holiness that we could never create in ourselves for ourselves. Only the Spirit of God can do it. That's why the Spirit's referred to as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he brings about holiness in our lives. Let's look at Hebrews 10.14. Remembering, a spirit-led life will lead us away from things. And through that, being led away from things, there's the circumcision of our heart. But Hebrews 10.14, it says, By one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You see, in God's sight, through Jesus, we're already perfect. But the reality is we have a lifelong process of being made holy, of having our hearts circumcised throughout our lifetime until we're finally perfected and taken to heaven once and for all and God's holiness is in us through and through. This, this lifetime is just, uh, I don't know what you call it in the theatrical world, but we're practicing for an eternal play for God. This is not the final play. The final play is gonna be in heaven, and we're just being prepared for eternity right now. But let's look again at this word holy. It means again to be set apart for God and his purpose alone. You know what? I am sick and tired of seeking my own purposes. They drain me. They tire me. My own pursuits exhaust me i'm really getting to the end of that and wanting to just have god's purpose in mind what does that mean well god's active hand has been in work in my life now for 50 years over 50 years and he's been sanctifying me he's been making me holy to the extent that now i almost just want just what god wants i have a ways to go But I'm getting there and I'm a lot farther than I used to be. This sanctifying process or this being made holy process um, is what's referred to as the circumcision of my heart. It's removing all those bad tendencies, those selfish, self-centered tendencies, and taming my bad desires. Remember how Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and those lions uh, were, were, were down there and they didn't jump on Daniel. He was down there all night long. And the Bible says, Daniel, uh, the the story goes, that Daniel in the morning said, The angel of the Lord came and shut the lion's mouth. You know what? In each of us is a lion that has an untamable desire. And I'm speaking of a bad lion. Uh, uh, Just ferocious desires that consume us. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He comes in and shuts the lion's mouth and tames our desires. That, holy, that holiness that God places in us, that circumcision of the heart, He tames our untamable desires. And I've, I've seen that with as simple things as eating food. I, I find all of a sudden one, one evening when I'm used to going into the pantry and scavenging, scavenging for, for sweets... That all of a sudden, that that desire is tamed inside of me. And you know what? Whenever that happens, I need to take full advantage of that and walk back out of the pantry and set myself down to do something else different. He tames our desires. He conforms us to His image. Praise God. So the Spirit-led life involves a covenant with God uh, that He makes with us where He progressively sanctifies us through the circumcision of our heart. So, I mentioned to you that there's two things that He leads us away from. That the Holy Spirit leads us. So the Holy Spirit leads us to certain things, but in doing so, He leads us away from things as well. So let me give you the key, the key verse today. It's in Philippians 2.14 and 15. And it says this, and this is the verse that my dad gave last Sunday night that just has blessed me abundantly. It says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. Remember, that that's... That's synonyms for holy, alright? How can we become holy? If we will be led away from gl- grumbling and arguing. This verse goes on in Philippians two fourteen and 15, it says, "...children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like the stars of the sky." And I'll tell you, this is a total rabbit trail, but I'm going to go down it just real quick. I've been asking God, Lord, how can I be a fisher of men? Jesus told his disciples, Hey, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, as you can go out and and fish all these fish, I'll teach you how to get men's souls and introduce them to the kingdom of heaven. I'll make you fishers of men. This, this This phrase right here, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. That's being a fisher of men. And I've been finding lately that the few interactions that I've been having with people, almost every single one of them leads to an opportunity to effectively witness to them about who Jesus is. And I've been, I looked at myself and I thought, I'm shining more than I've shined ever in my life. What happened? Well, I'm finding that I'm grumbling less And I'm arguing less. (laughs) It's been blessing me. I'm becoming blameless and pure. And I'm not saying this in a bragging way. I'm just, all the glory goes to God. I see that His Holy Spirit is circumcising my heart, sanctifying me, And I'm beginning to shine more, and I'm loving the feeling, and I know you will love the feeling as well. So let's look at how the Spirit leads us away from grumbling and complaining. All right, grumbling. Let's take on that one first. Listen to this you grumble about things you can't control, that's what grumbling and complaining is all about. it's when you you can't control something or you think you can't control it, the only thing you're left with is to grumble about it or to complain about it. So, for those who uh, despise President Trump in this day and age, or for those who four years ago despised President Obama, either way, there was a lot of grumbling and complaining, all right? I don't like the president. I don't like his policies. I don't like what he's doing. I don't like the way he handles foreign policy. You grumble because you can't control the president. He got voted in, and that's it, and it's that. So all you're left with is grumbling. All right. You can see that it doesn't do an ounce of good, but it's a human tendency that we have. Or let's say that you have a spouse. I'm thankful that I'm not in this boat. But let's say that you have a spouse who doesn't care for you properly, doesn't love you, isn't tender with you. What do you do? Well, you can't control it, so you grumble about it. You complain about it. Or or, or what if you have a boss who's just miserable to work for, and this boss never treats you right, never gives you clear guidance. What do you do? You complain about it. You grumble about it. So you grumble about things you can't control. Essentially, what takes place is you're grumbling against God. (laughs) <laughs> You're grumbling against God. That's the that's the ultimate tendency that we have. You know why? Because we can't control God. We can't control what he does or how he does things. So our natural human sinful selfish tendency is to grumble against God and to grumble against the authorities that God has instituted why? Cuz you can't control God. It's impossible. So all you do is grumble. Grumbling also has to do with just being discontented, unhappy, unappreciative of the here and now. You're either wishing for the past, a better day in your past, or you're wishing for a future, a future, a better future. But you know what? All you can do is meet God in your present. So stop grumbling in the present and start meeting God in the present because that's the only place you can meet with God is in your present, in your here and now, in the right, right here and now. I love this scripture that I came across about two weeks ago. I had read it before, uh, but it's, it was it was reminded to me by the Holy Spirit, it says, rooted and built up in Him, again, Colossians 2, 7, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. And I got up one week, one one week, I got up one day uh, this, this week, and I remembered that verse, and you know what I did? The first thing I did is I, I thought of something that I was thankful for, and I thanked God. And all of a sudden, I thought of another thing that I was thankful for, and I thanked God for that. And then another thought, and pretty soon I was getting such a flood of thoughts that I couldn't thank God quick enough for everything. And that entire day, I was overflowing with thankfulness. If you're overflowing with thanksgiving, you literally cannot grumble and complain. It's impossible. The opposite of grumbling and complaining is appreciation, it's thankfulness, it's gratefulness. Secret displeasure, which is grumbling and complaining, a a hidden displeasure that you have, a secret displeasure is the opposite of a cheerful and willing mind. I want to be cheerful, I want to be willing, but if I'm sitting around griping and complaining all of the time, I'm not going to be available to God. And so I need to walk away from my complaining attitude and be led by the Spirit to a willing and a cheerful heart, an appreciative heart. Now, a perfect example of this is the atheist who felt like God let them down. So you know what they decided to do? They decided to say that God doesn't exist because the God that they thought they could trust let them down. So now they've become an atheist. And what they've done is they've punished God because they can go around saying God doesn't exist. They've punished God because of his faulty and flawed divinity. But you know what? What a silly thing that that would be. Can you imagine if I let one of my kids down and they walked out the the door and they said, you know what? You don't exist anymore. And I, I say, I'm standing right here in front of you. I really do exist. I'm sorry I let you down. No, you don't exist anymore. That's the dumbest thing you could possibly do, and that's what we do with God. That's what we do with God. We say, "You don't exist because you let me down." Well, that's foolish, that's grumbling, that's complaining. Or a secret displeasure because uh, <clears throat> because you've been pushed out of your comfort zone. God wanted to help you grow, and He's pushed you out of your comfort zone, so now you dig in your heels and you grumble against Him because you're uncomfortable that's not going to get you anywhere. That's just a grumbling, complaining spirit. Or you're ticked off at God because you haven't gotten a satisfactory answer from Him, so you grumble, so you complain. Or you're walking through a foggy or dark time in your life and all there is is confusion and uncertainty and all you do is complain to Him and complain about Him. Or maybe some quote-unquote Christian who should have been a good example to you, failed you miserably, and so you've written God off, the church, Christianity, and so you grumble against all of them by calling them hypocrites. This is the attitude that God wants you to walk away from. There's a better way of looking at things. There's a better way of seeing things, and the Spirit is going to lead you to that place if you will turn your back on a grumbling and complaining Spirit. Exodus 16, 7 uh, speaks of the Israelites who were notorious for, for, grumbling, for grumbling, for murmuring, for complaining. God says in the morning, or actually I think it was Moses who said, In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Now see, when you're grumbling, you miss out on the glory of the Lord here in Exodus 16, 7. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that we should grumble Excuse me. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Who are we that we should grumble against God? Instead of grumbling and complaining, we should submit to God. We should trust God. We should reverence God. We should thank God. And we should believe God. Let me tell you what. As I'm shaking off this terrible habit that I have of being a complainer, I'm getting freer. And freer and freer. And I want to share it with you. Walk away from grumbling and complaining and start being led by the Spirit. Job had every reason to complain, and to a certain extent, he did complain, he did grumble. And so God finally spoke to Job in Job 38. And here's what the Lord said The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked out its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On, on what were all its footings set? And who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds like a garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, and when I said, This this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves shall halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning, Job? Or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their unpraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death shown been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. And I'll stop there in verse 18. But jump forward to Job 40 verses 3 and 5. And this is what Job answers the Lord. He says, I am unworthy, how can I reply to you? I put my mouth over my hand over my mouth, I spoke spoke once, I have no answer, twice I will say no more. You know what? God is untamable. God is limitless. God is supreme. God is superior. He's sovereign. He's almighty without beginning and without end. He's high and exalted. Who am I, Steve Norman, to grumble against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Wow. (laughs) I need to walk away from this, this complaining superiority that I have. And I encourage you to do the same. But the second thing that we need to walk away from or be led away from is arguing. You see... Arguing has to do with divisions and disunity. And God does not like these. See, two people who are arguing have a division. They're not united. They're not working together. And if there's any great example of that, it's our country right here, right now. God does not like the disunity in our country right now. He doesn't like it. It's not pleasing to him in the least. But let's look and see where arguing comes from. Where this... Where this habit comes from, in James 4 verses one, we get a good, clear picture of where this comes from. It comes from. In fact, the question is asked, What causes fighting and quarrels among you? Well, that's the question that I just asked, and we're just about to get the answer. What causes arguing among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire, uh, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So the question is, is where does arguing and divisiveness comes from? It comes from the conflict, conflicting desires that battle inside of you. You see, if you're constantly fighting inside of you, you have, let's say, a good side of you and a bad side of you, and your desires are battling back and forth, well, obviously you're going to battle with people as well. If you're split in two, your family's going to be split in two. If you're split in two, your staff at work is going to be split in two. You see, God never expected you to have a split personality, He never expected you to have these desires. But if you're constantly feeding yourself bad stuff, you're going to be constantly wanting bad stuff. So why not cut off those sources? I was talking to somebody just the other day about this. And and he asked me. It was funny. Here's a this <laughs> he cracks me up. Uh, uh, call it a a person who's kind of walked away from the Lord a little bit. And he asked me, should I watch? Be careful with the movies that I watch and the music that I listen to. And I thought, how funny that someone who's struggling so much, is basically kind of sort of walked away from the Lord a little bit, is asking me that intelligent question. And I said, absolutely, man. Whatever feed, whatever feeds you, or whatever you eat, is going to consume you. It's going to be what you desire. But anyways, these conflicting desires are going to cause you to be a divisive person. When you want, here's another thing that causes quarrels and divisions: is when you want something really bad and you can never seem to get it, and so you go out and try to get it on your own without God's help. That causes all kinds of divisions because that means you're a selfish person. And selfish people cannot be good on a team. They can't play well together because they're constantly thinking of themselves. And so goes with the next item that we see in these set of verses. What makes you a divisive person? Selfish motives. And fourthly, what makes a divisive person is when the world is your friend and God isn't your friend. That's going to divide you quicker than anything else. You see, God doesn't want us to be divisive people, but instead He wants us to be peace-loving and humble, loving people, selfless people, and gentle people. That's what causes unity. Those things, humility, peace-loving, loving people, selfless people, and gentle people. Now, I'm going to read, because of time constraints, I'm going to skip through this next section. I just want to mention this one thing, though, is that God is a jealous God. And when we're divided from God and we walk away from God, He's jealous for you. And I'll just quickly mention this. I remember dating my wife. And there was a couple of times when I had unfounded jealousy. She gave me no reason to be jealous. But I remember the feeling... I remember the feeling of anger and love, uh, you know, aggression and sensitivity, all of these crazy emotions just bundled up into one burning, I don't know what to call it, you know, emotion. That's how God feels when you're divided from Him. When you're, when you're separated from Him, God doesn't want you to be divided from Him. And He doesn't want you to be divided from His people either. He wants you to be in unity with Him and in unity with His church. You see, uh, some synonyms for being divisive is divided. Another one, though, is isolated. When you're divisive, you isolate yourself. You paint yourself in a corner. You're lonely. You're by yourself. You're alienated you're weakened and when when there's divisions in any team in any organization and certainly the body of Christ it disintegrates it falls apart and that's another synonym God really 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 does not like divisions Um, he does not only want he not only doesn't want us to be divided but he asks us to separate ourselves from those people who are divisive very very clear in the Bible and in Romans 16 17 in the following verses Paul says I urge you brothers and sisters to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way what kind of obstacles would a divisive person put in your way well they put the obstacle of you getting close to God you see if you start hanging out with the divisive people you're not going to be able to be close to God what's another obstacle They'll threaten to take something away from you that's important to you if you don't side with them. And it also they also put the obstacle of not allowing you to be close to some other people that you could be close to. So let's read through this. Uh, Those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned, keep away from them. Keep away from them. Who? Keep away from people who are divisive. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. So if you see a quote-unquote Christian who's divisive, you can be sure they're not serving the Lord. They might still be Christians, you know. Uh, they they might still have God's righteous in them, righteousness in them, but they're not serving the Lord because they're dividing, and that's very much opposed to what God wants. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive. Naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And listen to this verse. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Mm -hmm. You see, the instigator of divisiveness is Satan himself. But the God of peace is soon going to crush that divisiveness under your feet. Now I'll tell you, this message is for some of you right here right now you you have friends you might have family members you might even have a spouse who's divisive and you're trying to uh, digest what i'm telling you and apply it to your life but i want to tell you i believe this message is more for the future for us to be on our guard to be on the watch out to be on the lookout for divisiveness in ourselves and divisions within you know, the body of Christ. Here's a couple of other verses as we finish up here. Titus 3.10 The Apostle Paul warns Titus, he says, Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. Let me tell you what, being a Christian, there's some aspects of Christianity that are very radical, and this is one of them. God is very, very clear that he does not like disunity. So I began to psychoanalyze, again, as we're finishing up here, I began to psychoanalyze the characteristics of a divisive person, and here's some of them. First of all, all you have to do is look at their family life, and if their family life has a lot of divisions in them, people aren't getting along either in their marriage, in their parenting, even in their relationships, you can pretty much, that's a telltale sign of what kind of person that they are. If they bring peace to their family, unity to their family, you can pretty much be sure that as you deal with them, they will be that way with you as well. But these divisive people also thrive on conflict. They love drama. They love conflict. They love uh, what you call schisms, in other words, divisions. Here's another one. They don't accept responsibility for their actions, and nothing is ever their fault. If you come across a person like that, you can be sure that they're a divisive person. Here's another one. They won't release their hurt, so it becomes very hard for them to forgive people because they're always thinking about their hurt. That's a divisive person. They want to punish those who don't meet their expectations uh, or that tries to throw off their oppressive web of control. So a punishing person is a very divisive person. Versus a person who's full of grace, who loves, who gives you a second chance. That person is a unifying person. Uh, Second to the last here is they're capable of destroying something that's important to you. And they'll even mention it to you or throw it out there. That person's a very divisive person. And then lastly, they won't submit uh, to leadership and they're very unwilling to serve. A person who's who unifies is a servant has a servant's heart. they'll jump in there, they'll work, they'll help, but a divisive person is hands off and rarely will serve in any capacity, and they have trouble leading or, or following any leader. Here's the point I'd like to make is you will become whoever you hang out with. If you hang out with those who are divisive, you will become a divisive person. But I want to point this out, a divisive person is a toxic, is, a, is is going to turn into a very toxic relationship to you. I was reading, I uh, get a newsletter from this, uh, I think he's a psychiatrist, um, Dr. Travis Bradbury, he's, he's actually a, a bestseller. But uh, one of the newsletters that I received, he referred to six toxic relationships that you should avoid like the plague. How's that for a title? Man, as soon as I read that title, I read that article, and it, uh, it was really interesting. But here's some things that I got from that article. People who play mind games and try to control you, you need to stay away from those kind of people. They're in no good for you. They're not going to build your self-esteem. They're going to drag you down. Here's another one. People who hold grudges and frazzle you with constantly looking for mistakes. Stay away from those kind of people. They're not going to do you any good. Or those people who have only one-sided relationships where they do all the taking and you do all the giving. Now, if you're in a marriage situation, I'm not asking you to get get a divorce, but begin to pray to God that you wouldn't be the only one always giving in the relationship because that's never how God ever intended it to be. Or, here's another one, relationships where there's no boundaries. Where someone can ring your doorbell at the middle of the night, can call you anytime, um, infringes on your, your times when you're trying to uh, be restored and renewed, and there's no boundaries. That's, that's a very toxic relationship, uh, Dr. Uh, Bradbury says, and I believe. Uh, relations relationships that are punitive, in other words those where there's always something hung over your head that you could get punished for that's abuse by the way, whenever you have that that's that's not that's not a good relationship and then certainly relationships where trust is missing, where there's always lies and no one ever tells the truth that's a very toxic situation but let's finish up with these last couple of scriptures matthew twelve thirty Jesus says Whoever does not gather with me scatters. A divisive person is constantly scattering and never gathering. We don't want to be that kind of person. And God tells us in his word, he doesn't want us to be with people like that either. Christ is the uniting factor within the body of believers. Christ himself. We're not the uniting factor, okay? Okay. We, we can't bring dissimilar opinions and thoughts together, but when you talk about Jesus, and everybody gets their focus on Jesus, and what Jesus says, and thinks, and and declares, we will be more unified than you could ever imagine. So Christ is a uniting, united, uniting factor. 1 John 1, 3, it says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father, And with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see here, the scripture says that if you and I, we have fellowship with Jesus, then you and I will have fellowship with one another. But I I found, even in in my marriage, as soon as I stop reading the Bible, I, I don't spend that wonderful, enjoyable time with God and I start letting that go. I start feeling it in my marriage. I start feeling it in my parenting. Okay, so a relationship with God affects my relationship with people, and that's undeniable. So the two sanctifying changes that God wants to make within us, the circumcision of our heart, is for us to turn our grumbling into trustful, trusting thankfulness and exchange our argumentative divisiveness into selfless love. And then it says in Philippians 2.15, Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. Praise God. Let's get rid of arguing. Let's get rid of complaining. Uh, Let's get rid of, of grumbling. And then we will begin to shine for Jesus like we've never shined before. People will be attracted to us and ask us, What is the hope that drives us, that helps us every day? What's different about us? And I'm finding that happening in my own life as I'm getting rid of these two things and being spirit-led. People are, are almost asking me what it is, what it is, and I can share with them freely. Last two scriptures, I promise. Psalms thirty-seven five six, 6, talking about shining. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will make your vindication shine like the day. You know what vindication is, right? That's when you're vindicated. That's when, the, when, when everybody says, Oh, you know what? You were right. <laughs> oh, you know what? You're okay. That's vindication. That's going to shine like the light. And the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Wow. You know what? You, you have a cause to fight for. God's going to make that shine like the noonday sun. That's just amazing in Psalms 37, 5, and 6. And then Psalms 34, 5, it says, Those who look to Him, that's to God, are radiant. They shine. Their faces are never covered with shame. God's holiness will begin to shine out of you as He circumcises your heart, as He works discipline in you. You're going to shine like never before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that the Holy Spirit leads us not only to things, but leads us away from things. And here we've seen two very important things that we must be led away from that we all have the unfortunate tendency to practice, Lord. That is grumbling and complaining and arguing and creating division amongst people, Lord God. You never wanted those two things for us. Lord, help us to pull up uh, our our tent stake, so to speak. Let's let's stop camping in this place that we've been of grumbling and complaining. Let's pull our tent, Lord, roll it up, put it in our backpack, and hike. ...to the place where you want us to be, Lord, a higher place, Lord, of believing God, of thanking God, of trusting God. Lord, you want us to walk. The Bible says you've given us hinds feet. That's that's the feet of a deer. Lord, to, to go on to the heights, Lord Jesus, to breathe fresher air, Lord God, uh, to gain a higher perspective, Lord Jesus, to see things from a heavenly view, O oh God... Lord Jesus, help us to soar with wings as eagles, Lord God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for it, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every person who hears this. Lord, that they would be impacted to free themselves from the habit of complaining, of grumbling, Lord Jesus, of arguing. Lord, of always trying to be right. Lord, the only one who is always right is you, Jesus. So we focus our attention on you, and we thank you, Heavenly Father, for it. In your name I pray, amen.